John 21 this morning. We're talking about the 40-day period. When I say the 40-day period, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. There were exactly 40 days between the resurrection of Christ and his ascension. During that 40 days, he spent that time with his disciples, teaching, him, teaching them various things. Now, we don't have an exhaustive record of everything Jesus said to his disciples during that period. We do, however, <clears throat> excuse me. We do, however, have uh, a few of the lessons that Jesus taught these disciples during that 40-day period. Uh, does anybody remember what the first of those lessons was that we talked about? Nobody knows. Okay. It's the story of doubting Thomas. The second one was the one that Sylvia said was the story of Peter returning to the fishing boat and the various things we talked about last week, which were actually also in John 21. It ties along very well with uh, the lesson we'll be talking about this morning because it is what takes place immediately afterwards. So in John chapter 21, we're going to start reading. Uh, in verse 18. Yeah, John 21, we're going to start reading in verse 18. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, <clears throat> when thou wast young, thou girded thyself, and walkst whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee, whither thou wouldst whither thou wouldst not. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Uh, verse 19, he says, This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. So he's talking about what kind of death um, Peter would glorify God and what, what was going to take place uh, in his old age. And after he gets through with all of this with Peter, he has the lovest thou me more than these. He tells him about this. The last thing he says to Peter is follow me. Anybody tell me why that's significant? That's what he said when they first met. Remember, they're on the boat. They cast the net. The net began to break. They almost sank the boat because there were so many fish. They come to shore. And Peter says to Jesus, uh, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. In other versions, he says, Follow me, and I will make thee fishers of men. Right? So he says to Peter, follow me, so that Jesus can make Peter fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. Now, the reason he told him, follow me here, is because Peter went back to being fishers of fish instead of being fishers of men. 
And that was a mistake. And it went against what Peter had dedicated himself to do. Now, you see, Peter thought it was over. Jesus died. He was gone. They didn't know where, where he was or what was happening to him. So he thought, well, I guess I'll just go back to what I was before I met Jesus. That's always a mistake. Even though Jesus had left their lives in the most physical sense, it shouldn't have meant that they went back to the way they were before they knew them. Any time I lose somebody, there's a grieving period, of course, but I always strive to allow that person and their presence in my life to add something to me. You know, like a piece of them has helped me grow in a way that I should. You know, so in that way, they're not really fully gone. A part of their lessons and their teachings and the things that they gave me are always with me. Now, when it comes to Jesus, this is a bit more literal. <clears throat> because even though Jesus in his bodily form, like he was in New Testament times, isn't physically here with us, he is still physically here with us. He's here in a spiritual sense. He's here with us uh, in a literal sense. He told his disciples, for two or more gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. We talked about that a, a few weeks ago. Jesus is literally in our presence. And that should affect us. We shouldn't go back to the way we were before. Sometimes we trip up, we make mistakes, and we make mistakes we used to make before we were saved, and we try to repent of those things and, and grow past them. But to, to live your life as though you had never met Jesus is a mistake. And that sounds real obvious when we say it out loud, but there are people who do that. We come to church on Sunday and we think on the Lord. We open our Bibles. We do some praying. We sing some hymns. And then when we leave this place, we don't do anything of the sort until the next church service. We wake up. We get ready. We get dressed. We have our breakfast. Maybe we watch some news. We listen to the radio. We do something as we get ready. We grab our keys. We get out in the car. We get it started, we head out to work, maybe stop off and get some breakfast on the way, maybe get some coffee at the office, and we sit down and we get started, and that's your day. You work all day long, you come home, you unwind, you get comfortable, you make some dinner, you have dinner with your family, and then you start getting ready for bed, you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and you do it all over again. <coughs> that's a normal day. <clears throat> People do that every day all over the world. That should not be a normal day for a Christian. To be a Christian is to live with a Sunday frame of mind every day of the week. It's to live in view of God and His Word every single day. So that when somebody says something to you, you can ask yourself, what do I think Jesus thinks about that? You used to have those bracelets. You guys remember those bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do so that if you wore one of those bracelets all day long, everything that happened, you could look at that bracelet and you could ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he was in my position? And it taught you to have that Sunday frame of mind all week long. For the Christian, 
This isn't something you pick up and put down at your convenience. That's exactly what Peter did. He picked up the Lord. The Lord was with him. He was next to him. It was exciting. There were miracles. He was dedicated. He was willing to suffer for the Lord. He was willing to suffer for this man that meant so much to him. But when he was gone, he went right back to who he was before. And Jesus comes along in that moment. At the very end of this lesson, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, follow me. Now, it's easy to follow Jesus when he's physically here. We, you can go wherever he goes. It's hard to follow Jesus when you can't see him with eyeballs. It's hard to listen to Jesus when you can't hear him with your actual ears. But he's speaking. He's leading. You just have to learn to follow him. We follow him through his word. We follow him through the Holy Spirit. He reminds Peter, Peter, follow me. That's what he reminds us about. We're at work or we're watching a movie with friends or we're hanging out or we're with the family. Whatever we're doing, we got to remember, follow me. What Jesus says, don't go back to that old fishing boat. Jesus says, follow me. He says in verse 20, <clears throat> it says, Then Peter turned about, uh, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Who is that? Somebody tell me, who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? It's John. John is the one writing this uh, gospel, and he never uses his own name. He only ever defines himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was the thing that he thought was so amazing about himself. That Jesus came along and showed him love and showed him affection. And he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. This isn't to say that Jesus didn't also love all of his other disciples. It's just to say that John thought that was extremely special. Jesus loves me. John thought that was incredible and amazing and worth noting for himself. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter's seeing him. Now that's a sort of a flashback, if you will, to the Lord's Supper that had happened before Jesus was crucified. Who is he that betrayeth thee was the question they asked before at the Lord's Supper. So Peter was remembering John leaning on Jesus at the Lord's Supper in an affectionate way, asking who is it that's going to betray you? This isn't what John's asking today. at this point in John 21. So Peter, looking at John following behind, remembering that moment, Peter uh, seeth him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? So Peter's looking at John. He's remembering how affectionate John was to Jesus and wondering, will John receive the same glory that I will? Because he loved the Lord at least as much as I do. So he asks and he says, Lord, what's going to happen to John? He says, Lord, what shall this man do? What's the future look like for John? <coughs> Could you imagine having Jesus there with you? A man who knows every detail of every moment that hasn't happened yet. He knows what you'll do, your whole life, how it's going to turn out, what you're going to have, what you're not going to have. 
He's going to know what your kids are going to turn out like, what your grandkids are going to turn out like, what your great-grandkids are going to turn out under the third and fourth generation. He has all the answers to every question you could ever ask. And there he is. And you can ask him anything you want. And he knows the answer. So Peter begins to get curious. As Jesus has just sort of told him his future, now he wants to know about John's. And notice how Jesus answers him in verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Now we have a very interesting lesson Jesus is teaching. He says, If, I tar if he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? The lesson Jesus is teaching Peter here is you don't need all the answers. That's the lesson Jesus is teaching to both Peter and to us this morning, to his church. This is a foundational 40-day truth that he wants us to know who won't have him here with us physically uh, in the most uh, corporeal sense. Is that you don't need all the answers. We want to know what's going to happen. What's the next horrible thing that's going to take place? Is, is somebody in my family going to get sick? Is, are my kids going to be okay? Are they going to turn out okay? Are they, they going to uh, be around long enough to, for me to see them become adults? Or what are their kids going to be like? You know, what is their spouses going to be like? You know, what kind of a job are they going to get growing up? Or are they going to still be talking to me when they're adults? You know, these are all questions that parents want about their kids. But the thing is, is that Jesus is teaching us through Scripture, you don't need all the answers. You don't need them. We want to know about our careers. Don't we? We want to know, am I still going to be in this job 10 years from now? Am I going to move up the ranks? Am I going to get any promotions? Uh, who Am I going to be working with any new people? What's going to happen to the people I'm working with? What's going to happen to this company? We want to know the answers to all of our questions about our careers. And God tells us you don't need all the answers. And you have more questions like that, I feel like, the younger you are, right? The younger a person is, the more they want to know, who am I going to wind up with, right? What kind of a job am I going to get? What kind of a car am I going to drive? How many kids am I going to have? They want all of these questions, right? Like those little TikTok videos where it spirals around their head and it tells them the kind of you know, person they're going to wind up with, the kind of house they're going to live in, the kind of car they're going to drive, how many kids they're going to have. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's kind of going around. And uh, it's just what people are curious about. They want to know these things, but the Lord wants us to master the concept of ignorance. We don't need to know. That is an opposite concept to the human being. If there is whispers about something that you don't know about, it is every fiber of our human nature that wants us to figure out exactly what it is if it's the last thing we do. We will get upset if somebody has information that they're not willing to share with us. <clears throat> there are some things we're better off not knowing. At the time, we might even know that. And we'll still try to find out anyways, won't we? Jesus wants us to master the art of willful ignorance. 
You don't need to know everything. That's what Jesus is teaching. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? There are so many things in the Bible, and I want you to think about how the Bible is written. As you think about the stories in the Bible, they tell a very specific narrative, a very specific story. The story is not about Moses. The story is not about Noah. Right? It's about the God of Noah. And it's about how Noah impacted the rest of humanity. But specifically, how humanity interacts with God. It's not about Abraham. Right? It's about how Abraham interacted with God and how Abraham's interactions with God impacted the rest of the world. It's about God. The Bible is about God, but even more specifically, because there are things about God that aren't in the Bible. It's about us and God. That's what it's about. The Bible's written about that specific thing, about us and our relationship and getting to know God better and coming closer to the Lord and being as He wants us to be and growing the way we ought to grow. And the Bible gives us that. I forgot to turn that lamp on. The Bible gives us the information we need, but it doesn't give us the information we want. There are questions in the Bible I would love to have. My first one would be, what did that, that water look like that covered the surface of the earth and the sky? That water that come rushing down on the earth in the days of the flood, in the days before the flood, what did it look like? Adam saw it, Eve saw it, Cain and Abel and Seth and all of their generations coming down till Noah, even Noah and his three sons and all of their wives. They all saw this incredible whatever it was. There are so many debates as to what it was. A lot of people think it was a vapor canopy that sort of covered the earth. A lot of people think it was like a crystalline structure that covered the earth. Uh, some of us think that it was just a big sack of water that covered the earth somewhere in between what we call the ozone layer now, which may have served as the sack to fill it up. But the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it was, does it? And why is that? Because we don't need to know. There are so many questions. Where did Cain get his wife? There's the line of Cain, and then there's the line of Seth, right? Where did Cain get his wife? The Bible doesn't tell us. You know why? We don't need to know. The book of Revelation talks about two witnesses at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Who were those two witnesses going to be? Some people think they might be uh, Moses and Elijah. Because those are the two that showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Some people think it'll be somebody that's not in the Bible. Just two people that exist in more modern days. Bible doesn't tell us who they're going to be. You know why? We don't need to know. You worried about the future? You worried about money? You worried about your health, the health of your loved ones? You worried about the holidays? You want to know how everything's going to turn out so you can stop worrying so much? You know what Jesus tells us? You don't need to know. 
in order to stop worrying. Another portion of Scripture tells us, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about it, because Jesus has it. He says, follow thou me. He says, don't worry about that fishing boat. But then he says, don't worry about these things that I haven't told you about. Don't worry about him. I'll take care of John. You don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. You just worry about following me. You just worry about doing what I said to do. You stay true to the path. Follow thou me. Because we can get distracted from following Jesus by a lot of things, including our own fears and our own anxieties and our own worries. They will stop us from following Jesus. He says, says in verse 23, Then <coughs> went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. It, that is what they said, that he's not going to die. That he'll see Jesus return because that's what Jesus said. And it's not what Jesus said. If we finish verse 23, it says, Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So once again, they've misunderstood what Jesus is saying altogether. They took it to mean, Wow, Jesus answered my question. He's never going to die. He's just going to live forever until the Lord returns. And then Scripture tells us here that, no, that's not what Jesus said. What he said was, if I tarry till he come, what is that to you? Follow thou me. That is what Jesus was saying, and they missed the point of that lesson entirely. So once again, the disciples are misunderstanding what Jesus is trying to tell them. They want to know what's going to happen. Where's John? What's going to happen to John? Is he going to die like Peter? Is he going to live, you know, till the Lord returns? What's going to happen? And Jesus' response is, you don't need to know the answers. You just need to trust the one who has all the answers. And that's what he wants his disciples to understand. That's what he wants us to understand this morning. To worry about things. There are things to worry about. But we don't need to worry about them because we know the one who has all the answers. All he says is, follow thou me. That's what we need to worry about. Right there in verse 22 of John 21, he says, If I will that I tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. That's what we need to focus on, following Jesus. The rest of it, the Lord's going to take care of. Focus on following Jesus. But then again, verse 23, they say, Wow, uh, the saying went abroad among the brethren that the disciple, that that disciple should not die. That's what they thought he meant. Wow, he's not going to die. He's going to live forever. He's going to live till the Lord returns. Yet, the Bible says, Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he, tar that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So once again, missing the point entirely of just trusting the Lord and following Jesus. <clears throat> told the Lord for comes. And we're going to look at, we have a few minutes left. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. The next book over in Acts chapter 1, we're going to see uh, the last of the four lessons of Christ during this 40-day period. And it's not necessarily the last one he taught, but it's the last one we have record of. And it kind of ties in with what we were saying a second ago, doesn't it? Because it's a bit like, man, I would love to know all the lessons he taught the disciples during that 40 days. 
right? But again, it's we don't have a record of all those things because we don't need a record of all these things, right? We have what we need. In Acts chapter 1, uh, let's go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Jesus began it, and the disciples who would become apostles continued it. That's what he's saying here. Because it was uh, Luke that writes the book of Acts, and it's sort of a sequel to the, book, to the gospel of Luke. So if you read the Gospel of Luke and then you read the book of Acts, they, they tie in together perfectly. It says in verse 2 of uh, Acts chapter 1, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that through the Holy Ghost, he had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. That passion, of course, is the cross. That's why we call it the passion. That's what Luke referred to it as. By many infallible proofs. Infallible. That word's very important. Because if something's infallible, it can't be denied. The proofs that Jesus gave that he was the Christ, they were infallible. He was their Messiah, and they rejected him. Yet it was infallible that he was so. Being seen of them 40 days. And this is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, this 40 days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Now, this is significant because this is not always the case. It starts in Jerusalem. He wants them to stay in Jerusalem until the church is scattered. And we see that in the book of Acts, where persecution hits hard and people have to leave. And as these persecuted Christians leave, the gospel is spread to the entire known world. So even through this horrible persecution, we see the Lord doing a work through it all. And that the gospel is spread to these people who've never even heard of God. They come by, I love the story of Paul on Mars Hill. And he's standing up there and he's talking about God. And these people he knows in their minds are thinking, well, which one? We've got about 12 different gods around here. Take your pick. You know, it's like driving through driving through uh, Sam's Club. I love going through the, the cheese section there in Sam's Club. they got all those fancy cheeses and everything. And they're expensive, but some of them are worth it. It's pretty good. So they're going through there like they're at the grocery store picking out their favorite God. Which one do I want? Which one are you talking about, Paul? And he says, no, no, no. The God, creator of heaven and earth. And he has to start in Genesis. He has to go all the way to the beginning, explain to them the very concept of who God is. And that's what they did all over the world. Because of persecution that spread them out. But Jesus told them in the beginning, start in Jerusalem. Right there, right there in verse 4, he says that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Why? Because they're not ready to spread out to the rest of the world yet. They're not ready for that yet, but they will be. But, and here you'll see, if you've got a red letter Bible, you'll see that the letters change to red here because it's quoting Jesus. Wait for the promise of the Father. Anybody have a clue what that might be, the promise of the Father? It's not the second coming. It's a good guess, though. They're waiting for this in their day and age, in the New Testament age here in Acts 1, in Jerusalem. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 2? Anybody know? We haven't covered it yet, so I'm not going to fault you if you don't know yet. They receive the Holy Spirit. 
They had actually already received the Holy Spirit, but in Acts chapter 2, it's activated. They received the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about, I think it was last week, Jesus, when he shows up to the disciples that week before doubting Thomas, the Bible says he breathed on them, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So they have the Holy Spirit, but it's a bit like having a credit card. You take that credit card out, and you try to spend it, and it gets declined. Then you realize, oh, I forgot to call and have it activated. Right? You got the card. It's got your name on it. It's got that credit on it. But you've got to call them and have it activated. So they've got the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit isn't activated until Acts chapter 2. So that's the promise that they're waiting for is the Holy Spirit. Which, saith he, ye have heard of me. And we talked about that in the past, not very long, I think last week or the week before that. The promise that Jesus gave them about the comforter that will come of the Holy Spirit. I shall not leave you comfortless, I will bring unto you a comforter. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So what he's talking about there is again what's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. They receive a baptism of the Holy Ghost signifying that the Jews have received the Holy Ghost. That time has happened. This happens one more time. We have talked about this on our Wednesday night uh, online Bible study through the book of Galatians. Because the argument in Galatians is, well, for a Gentile to be saved, he has to be following a certain law of circumcision. And that's what the argument is that Paul is debating against. Even against Peter himself. Paul and Peter had an argument. That blows my mind. But Paul ended up winning the argument because of this thing. Peter was with the Gentiles when they were baptized in the Holy Ghost as well. And that was to signify, now the Gentiles are part of this thing of salvation and receiving the Holy Ghost as well. It's not only for the Jews, but to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Or as Paul says it sometimes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because those were the Gentiles in their world. Uh, so, he says, "Ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The John, John the Baptist, baptizing with water. Remember, when we go all the way back there early in our start on why we believe what we believe about the church. We talked about John the Baptist. And he said, I baptize you with water. Right? But then he said, there cometh one unto you whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Right? That's what John said. So here Jesus is saying you're about to see the fulfillment of the thing John was teaching you way back when. Verse 6 says, when, therefore, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? The kingdom to Israel? And once again, they still don't quite understand. Because if you just take the Old Testament, without the completion of the New Testament on top of it, you see two mountaintops in prophecy. right? You see the Old Testament, and you see the Millennial Kingdom, or what they called Zion in the Old Testament. And those are the two mountaintops you see. Now there are some valleys in between there where it talks about uh, Jesus dying on the cross in Isaiah, we, we quote a lot of times at Easter, sometimes even at Christmas. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Right? We quote that about Jesus. That's in the Old Testament. But so many times they get caught up in those two mountaintop moments the Bible talked about in their prophecies, they miss the New Testament age. So even his own disciples, at this point, they're like, okay, you, you, you died, you resurrected, you came back, now you're going to set up the kingdom, right? Now you're going to be king of all the earth. You're going to rule and reign on the earth like it was promised to us. Now's the time, right? And they still don't quite understand. And Jesus here telling them, it kind of goes along with what they had, he had just taught them. You don't need all the answers. We don't need to know when. You'll never hear me <clears throat> setting dates as far as prophecy goes. You'll never hear me say when, what day I think the rapture is going to come. Because the Bible tells us no man knows the day, the time, or the hour. We don't need to know the day. We need to live our lives as though it could be tomorrow. By the way, it could be tomorrow. It could be any day. We're going to get into that when we get done with this series. But no man knows the day. We don't need all the answers. We just need to trust the one who has them, right? So that's what he's, he's reiterating that to them. He's trying to give it to them again. He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Notice he didn't say, no, that's not going to happen. He said, it's not happening right now. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. The, the Heavenly Father, He's got the schedule, right? It's His timetable. It's His schedule. We're all just following along. And we can, we can wrestle against it, or we can go with it, but we wrestle against God. It's not going to turn out in our favor. Remember when Jesus spoke to Paul in Acts chapter 9, when, his, when he was very first converted. He's on his way, on the road, to, does anybody remember where? the road to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, a light shines. He's blinded. Jesus begins to speak to him. And he says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then he says this, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. If you study that in the original languages, it carries a proper tone with it. It means to sort of go against the grain. To kick against the pricks means to, like, swim against the current. You're, you're making it more difficult for yourself than you need to. Right? That's what he's telling Paul. You're resisting God's will, and you're making this whole thing more difficult for yourself than you need to. Just follow me, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says. And Paul does. And he goes on <clears throat> to write 13, I believe, some believe 12, 13, we don't know about Hebrews. It's a mystery. I like to think Paul wrote Hebrews. But he wrote 12, possibly 13 books of the Bible. Anybody know how many books there are in the New Testament? 27. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote 12 of them. That's pretty impressive. Paul went on to be the last apostle and the world's first missionary. So Paul went on not only to go with the flow of the Lord Jesus Christ in the direction that the Lord was trying to push him, but went on to accomplish much in the name of the Lord. I would say if it weren't for the Apostle Paul, we might not be sitting here this morning. It's a truly incredible thing. 
Because this man, Paul, he, it was his job to arrest Christians. He went around arresting them and sending them into the, uh, the, the Colosseums. We all know what happened in those Colosseums. That was Paul's job. He probably sat in those seats, eagerly watching the atrocities that took place in that Colosseum. And he was converted, not only converted, but became one of the most important Christians of the first century. Don't tell me people don't change. I've seen it myself. My grandfather, God rest his soul, was a hard atheist. Did not believe in God at all. Didn't make sense to him. The Lord kept, kept on him. He started to develop health issues. Started to have seizures. And at some point he told my grandmother, I want to talk to that pastor of yours. He ended up getting saved, becoming a member of the church. And if you were to know, if you were to know the man before he passed away, and to know that he used to didn't believe in God at all, your jaw would drop to the floor. Because I've seen other people who did it. Their jaws dropped to the floor. People change. God works in the Father's own time. You see, we've got a plan for our life, right? It's A, B, C, D. That's the way life is supposed to go. That's the way it happens. Me and my dad were talking yesterday about a young woman who's had her life all planned out. A, B, C, D, go to college, get a teaching job, be a teacher, find a, a healthy relationship, and live happily, happily ever after. You know what happened? Graduated college. She became a teacher. She found out she didn't like teaching. And now she works at a yoga shop. They say life is what happens in between the plans that you make. You know, the Lord has his timing for his events. And it'd be much easier for us if we just went with the Lord. We say, Lord, these are the things that I'd like to happen. But if this is, these aren't the things that you want to happen, thy will be done. Right? That's what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We can learn to live in that mindset. We'd be a lot happier off. <clears throat> it says in verse 8, Jesus, uh, Jesus says, But ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That word for power there in <clears throat> the Koine Greek is the word dunamis. It's the same word we derive the word dynamite from. It's power. It's explosive. It's incredible. The power that we have as born-again believers right now in the Holy Spirit is powerful. It's amazing. It's incredible. This thing that other people call hindsight, right? We have the ability as Christians to listen to the Holy Spirit guiding us in the moment we need it. The, the Bible refers to it as a still, small voice in the Old Testament. You know, God's not going to shout over the various things in your life. If you want to clutter up the voice of the Holy Spirit with noise and, and busyness and work and music and television and movies and that sort of a thing, you can do it. And it won't be a hard thing to do. Because when God speaks to us, it's a still voice because it's God. His, his voice isn't going to waver, is it? But it's a small voice. He's not going to shout out over the rest of the things in your life. If you want to hear him, he's speaking. But you got to be quiet. you got to listen every once in a while. Still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not an actual voice. It's not an audible voice. But it's in here. It's in our hearts. And he's there to listen to. The power of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us. Have you ever noticed that you can read the same story in the Bible over and over again, and you get something different out of it every time you read it? 
You ever been reading a story you heard, like maybe in Sunday school as a kid, and you heard it, you know, from the preacher growing up, and then you go to read it for yourself, and you say, oh, I, I never noticed that before. Has that always been in that story? Did they just add that last week? Like, what happened? I never saw that before. That's the Holy Spirit. He's pointing things out to you. The power of the Holy Spirit is come upon you. He says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. So now we're spreading out a bit. And then he says, And unto the uttermost part of the earth. Man, thank God for that. Right? Because if it had, he hadn't said the uttermost part of the earth, our ancestors might still be worshiping moon gods, right? That's where I come from. My ancestors were worshiping moon gods. They were worshiping, uh, they say that, my name is Matthew Strange. So, uh, you know, we have a, there was a strange clan in Ireland that descended from Vikings. So evidently we were worshiping, you know, like Thor and so forth. I thank God for the uttermost part of the earth because if it hadn't been for that, we'd still be worshiping those false gods. But these, these spread out to tell everybody about Jesus to the uttermost part of the earth. And you know, it's a responsibility we have. And man, it is so easy to do here in 2022, fixing to be 2023. It's so easy to reach out to the world with the advances in technology the way that it is. All you have to do is post the gospel on your Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter or wherever you are. And anybody across the world can accidentally stumble across that. We put out all of these messages and sermons on Facebook, and we've got the website that they go on and everything, so that anybody, we put them up on a podcast even. And there are people, and they show you, there's a little map. It's really cool. There's a little map on the podcast format that we use. It's got little red dots in the different places that people watch our podcasts. And it's really amazing because there are little dots. It's not spread up all over the place, but there are little bitty dots of a person here or there all over the world that has found our podcast and listened to it at some point. China, India. That's amazing to me. We live in a world where you don't have to get on a plane or get on a boat and travel across the world and set up shop and, and, and be there to give those people the gospel. There are people that do that. They're real heroes. We call them missionaries. But we can participate right here where we are, doing what we do every day of our life. You don't even have to inconvenience yourself. You get 15 minutes off at work. You can go and share the gospel around the world. It's an incredible day and age in which we live. Where we are, witnessing where the Lord opens doors of opportunity, unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's an incredible and amazing thing. It says in verse 9, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. That is the ascension. The 40 days has been up. And they ascend up into heaven. And there he sits, the Bible tells us, at the right hand of the heavenly Father. And he ever liveth to make intercession for you and me. What is intercession? It means he's the go-between. He goes to God on our behalf. Have you ever been part of uh, <clears throat> the legal process? You know that you, you go to stand before the judge, you'd be wise to have a lawyer present with you, right? Because that lawyer knows how to talk to the judge in such a way to help you out. Jesus is kind of like our lawyer on behalf of God, but it's more personal than that. He's, he's there to plead your case to the Heavenly Father. 
That's what he's doing. That's where he's at. That's where he ascended. And he does that for us because he loves us, because he cares about us. He appreciates us. And one day, he'll return and we'll see him as he is. Not as he was, but as he is as the Messiah. It'll be a true sight to behold. And we're going to talk about all of that in a couple of weeks when we start why we believe what we believe about end times. It'll be a good time. Next week, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the Great Commission, and we might dip into Acts chapter 2 a little bit. If you want to read ahead, uh, looking for something to read this week, maybe check out those couple of things in preparation for Sunday school. But that is it for us this morning. Oh, I am very late, aren't I? Okay, so we will get started with the Sunday morning service at 5 after 11. I do apologize for being late. Evidently, I stopped looking at my watch. Whoops. Oh, well. Uh, so until then, guys.